Welcome one and all to Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Have a seat, grab a drink, because tonight's discussion is going to be a little more on the metaphysical side, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so I believe tonight's discussion is on the manifestation of the digital mom. Drew, since you're the one who uh, came up with this topic, why don't you start us off? Well, and something has come to my attention and has been something in my headspace for several years now. And it's taken some time for me to kind of digest the implications of the digitization of the, 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 the unruly mob. And what that entails is when, whenever you get a large group of people together in, in physical reality, who have grievances or have anger over a specific thing, they tend to form into a mob of sorts either to deal with a, the offending uh, situation that has drawn their ire or offending person as the case may be. And what has occurred due to the influences of the internet and social media is have allowed the, the, the mob to get much larger than one would expect in a, a, you know, versus a local setting and much more vocal without having to say a word. And the gravity of what they do is diminished slightly because, you know, you can't make someone's computer catch fire from across the, from across the world. But the damage that they can do can still be just as grave, depending on the scenario that plays out. And what you end up having is a much more mobilized mob when it forms. And sociologically speaking, this is much more detrimental to societal health than your standard mob would be like you know, going into the history, uh, um, the, the French Revolution, L.A. riots, because the damage can be much more long-lasting to the individuals that it may target. The difference, obviously, is, is, the, is you're, you're talking about a, a different type of damage. Obviously, the property damage done by rioting, etc., is much more impactful to families and small businesses than you know someone canceling you on the internet but that honestly depends on your interaction with social media as it is if you're a store if you're a small store owner it's likely you're never going to feel the effects of cancellation unless you are a very popular small business owner with an actual fan base on the internet that has the potential to cancel you in the case of more popular people, influencers online, be it on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and then platforms the like, it's, it's much, it can possibly do much more damage to those individuals at hand. And it's something that it's, for me, it's a compare and contrast. And I honestly, it, if it's more how would we go about reining that kind of situation in as a society? 
And that's the question I pose to you, Orlando. So, I believe that is quite um, quite a mouthful, even for such a short uh, short uh, evaluation on things. Um, I do agree with you with the uh, with the formation of, or I should say, the how did, how go about with the formation of the internet mob because I believe the way I, I think the origins of the formation of our mob of the mob is something that is primal in the human condition as a social species we are we tend to use our numbers as a defensive mechanism to ward off uh, potential threats, whether it be from predators, uh, the elements from other human clans themselves. And it is something that has come to aid us greatly uh, over the course of uh, our spatial history. So at the very least, we know that the mob mentality is extremely effective. And that might be one of the reasons in which why the why it has uh, be, has taken on a digital form. It has become it, it simply put it's it's much more effective. But I think the interesting part of the digital mob that makes it so lethal in 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 a lack of sense or a lack of a better term is the it's the feigning of victimhood as a as a lure to to strike and attack uh, others or I should say other target to attack their targets and then that's sort of something that you could find in nature as well to an extent. In fact, there's a study and it's uh, in that sort of thing called uh, aggressive mimicry where the predator or the parasite in question, what they do is they, they use a lure of sense to attract unsuspecting prey towards them. And then they strike and I think we have found something similar in the internet mob because they seem to feign the idea of victimhood only to strike in a quote-unquote defensive fashion. Now, the way you can deal with the internet mob, I think sums up best in... I think we first have to ask the question, what made the internet mob so effective? And I think the biggest impact, of, if we include every single factor of what makes a physical mob great, is the acceptance of the, condi- of the, uh, of the supposed strength of the digital mob. What's unique about the digital mob is that 
no matter how much a person can uh, type up or leave recorded messages, if no one is listening, let alone respond, it's a scream into the void all the same. I could be outside right now and say whatever it is I want, but if nobody is listening, then my voice becomes unheard. The same can be applied to that of the digital mom. But I think one of the key factors that has led to their success is the unwilling of, pe of people to ignore these voices. Despite that they are, they can be, uh, despite that they can be uh, either small in number or vastly large, but all numbers the same, if those voices can be ignored, then they have no more greater power than anybody. But I think now the one spicy sauce is what if the internet mob is no longer physical, is no longer simply digital. Then you have things such as the, then you have such things such as a cancel culture where your career and life aspects are actually affected. And we see that everywhere. We see that with people who, who may have a statement or, or a belief or a declaration that some people will, that others might find offense to, that they will um, enact to find a way to sabotage almost every part of their career aspects. Because one of the things that they've learned is when you strike them at their ability to make a living, then they become quite, quite deadly. But then there's one thing that I would like to add to that potency that I think many people like to ignore, and that is creating a or enshrouding cancel culture under the veil of illusion. Because one of the things that we tend to hear from those who weaponize it is that it doesn't exist. And the more you spout that same narrative, the more you echo, echo that very narrative, the more people tend to believe it. And one thing that you can't do to something that doesn't exist is fight it. So while that veil remains, people are free to essentially target anyone and anything and can be left at the, the, the uh, mercy at their whim. Now, I think that is slowly starting to change because there is the introduction of the quote-unquote consequence culture, where it is the simple idea that they will acknowledge that cancel culture is somewhat of a thing, but it is only that you deserve to be canceled anyway because of something you have done. 
But let's understand what cancel culture is in in a nutshell. It is, it's the idea that you're no longer, uh, you're no longer viable to stand, no, to stand, uh, to stand alone in society to make a living because of actions that, for whatever reason, whether they are now, they have always been, or maybe at one point was considered bad. But what that, but what that uh, offense can be, this is the sweet sauce here. It could be anything. Because as morality changes, the state of your behaviors, past, present, and future, can be affected. Any one of us can commit something that in the future could be seen as awful and not even realize it because it's not something we can even consider until the future arrives. It could be as simple at one point as making a phone call to the wrong person. And all of a sudden, it's deemed as cancelable. But you'll never know because anything you do now, anything you have done in the past, and anything you can do in the future is all laid at the hands of that digital mob. And the more we give them that, uh, the more we uh, accept their terms of play, the worse it's going to be for the rest of us as a whole. I think the major issue, and going back to uh, what you were originally talking about with the tactics of the actual uh, digital mob, it isn't just the fact that because your statement is, is if anybody if anybody would just you know go out and scream outside their house or just you know randomly say stuff online and nobody's there to listen, it doesn't matter. The the, the mob itself is organized in a way that they are they're absolutely aware of the weak points <clears throat> in their target's armor, so to speak. They know the people they need to say something to who will reciprocate action in response to their th- their demands. Yeah, they've, One, they've and, adapted. And, two, and the second thing is is it's not the fact that they it don't they don't admit the cancer cancel they didn't admit that cancel culture exists. It's they're using a very effective tactic of obfuscating how many people are actually quote unquote outraged at whatever incident that has occurred. One of the major things that people aren't aware of, at least your average person who is blissfully, and I say this with all jealousy, blissfully unaware of how social media operates, is any number of people can have what is referred to as sock puppet accounts, are extra accounts that they have on different email addresses and IPs that they can use to essentially inflate or or up the up the uh, effectiveness of what they're trying to use as a weapon against someone else 
So if you have a set of a hundred people who have, you know, 10 sock puppet accounts, it makes it look like it's so many, so many more people, even though it isn't that many people. It's what causes these companies to go out of their way to to, to respond to the concerns that are being presented because they assume there are many more people than there are, than there is forcing their hand into a reaction that may or may not be, uh, may or may not be correct for the, for, for the situation presented. Okay. So such tact, such a tactic is not necessarily new to this. Um, it's not necessarily new. We've seen this done before in a similar fashion in history. We've seen it with, uh, with, it's one of the famous tactics that Alexander the Great would use with his troops during his conquest of Persia, where he would have his troops march uh, perpetually forward and backwards to uh, fool his enemy army, to fool the enemy into thinking there were, that they were uh, quite a larger army than they really were, or that they were traveling, uh, or that they were on their way when they were uh, feigning their um, their march. So, I think that is quite the interesting tactic that they've grown to develop. I wouldn't necessarily know if that was the inspiration that drew upon it, but that is an interesting thing to point out. Anybody who has at least a few years online in any capacity on like message boards or even the greater social media realms outside of the more commercialized ones would tell you, you know, there are many people who are influencers who probably have at least a handful of sock puppet accounts that they use for different reasons, be it on Reddit or Tumblr or any of the other platforms where having having uh reactions and uh interactions are very important so that kind of stuff doesn't shock me in that regard but like i said this information generally is something that goes over the head of your average person who isn't nearly as tech savvy as say you know any of those influencers or anybody on twitter i don't consider myself tech savvy but keeping your ear to the ground has its advantages and being in the, the different message forums and things that I've been on in my life, I've been aware of a lot of these tactics that they never really go away. Like you said, this is something as ancient as, as, you know, old, old Sun Tzu battle tactics, such things just evolve with the times, but some people just don't think about it because they don't, they aren't looking at things in the way, in the term of battlefield that a lot of these individuals may or may not uh, espouse to. Because for every for every person who claims to be some kind of uh, advocate or or the like, those are the individuals who tend to have those sort of uh, things in their in their arsenal. So it's a little bit of a food for thought for the general public, especially anybody who listens to us who has a more. Um, <clears throat> who has a more mundane viewpoint than uh, us, us people who sit online way too much. Indeed. 
So what do you make it for companies? Are, are we are we now to the point where that is not necessarily a requirement anymore? Because I can come, I can list a few examples in which now companies will capitulate to, I wouldn't necessarily call them moms because how do you call mom when it's only a group of maybe five people, actual people, not even garnering under the illusion of uh, using sock counts where they have led to the cancellation of a uh, of a of a of a particular figure it's kind of crazy where that a company will feel that just sim- maybe one or two people is enough for them to consider making large decisions that wouldn't where the people weren't even going to invest in anyway it's kind of crazy when you think about it it is, but you have to understand the concept of the domino effect when it comes to a lot of the, a lot of the online outrage scenarios. In most cases, yes, it does start with five people, but it often, it often, it often uh, avalanches into so many more. No, I believe so, that it went the other way around. I believe you're correct where it began with. Uh, people who would create the would would amplify their their impact to make it look like there are thousands of them and then i think nowadays has become to the point where they don't even need to do that anymore where just just a few people are enough for some companies to drastically alter their their uh their leadership methods or their decision-making. And I can agree with that because what, what has ended up happening over the course of time is it's an, it's an exploit of the reactionary uh, nature of corporations, corporations in and of themselves tends to only respond to situations that are already out of control or in the process of becoming out of control. So what you end up having is is, is, all it takes is one person to prod a company about a specific person or situation for them to respond with either some kind of statement or some kind of negative action to adjust accordingly in, 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 towards the whims of the individuals who are uh, going on as it were. And what, and what ends up happening is it's like swatting a fly with a nuclear, with a nuclear warhead in, and the, they end up destroying something that isn't nearly as important as they think it is. just to satiate people who probably don't really care beyond the actual re- the actual outrage itself which is unfortunate so would you would you argue that the folks who who initiate these sorts of uh, scenarios 
to be, I don't know, obsessed with the, uh, because I'm assuming that they're, they must be, they must get a rush for this sort of uh, influence over companies and, uh, and uh, what do they call it? Uh, public figures. Well, I would imagine there would be, but for me, I would imagine it's more connected to the, uh, the dopamine hit that many people get from being online and interacting with other people online that they normally wouldn't. It's just an extension or escalation would be a better word of that scenario because if you as a single person or small group of people can affect change positive, negative, or otherwise in a multi multi-million dollar corporation just by you know, crying wolf, as it were, it's going to compel you to do it more often, possibly turn it into a pseudo career. And honestly, that would be that, that to me seems more detrimental than anything else. Because in, 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 and of, in and of itself, it's not doing anything better for the greater, for, for the greater good. It's, it's faux. Uh, is it? Active, it's faux activism is essentially what it is. So, I mean, there is the there is the, the existence of the of the title known as the professional victim. That is something that comes around if you're if you've ever been in the internet, you've probably heard of the term. The idea that a person will that a, that a person is a who is proficient at being seen as a victim to others for just about anything depending on the, the depending on the circumstances so you mentioned faux activism and what do you okay what do you mean about faux activism what is faux activism to you and how, how does it apply to the digital mob so to me, faux activism is an ex by extension, and I'll get to the definition, but I wanted to elaborate further on origins, at least in the context of what I've seen. Faux okay. activism to me is just a form of professional activism, which there are in this world people who are paid to be activists. And what you have in regards to faux activists is essentially that without any actual monetary compensation and without any real direct drive to affect uh, to affect real lasting positive change in the things they're trying to manipulate or or alter so it's not real activism in that in in that constraint there are many people who would say faux, faux activism would be any any person who is a quote unquote keyboard warrior, someone who just sits behind their computer all day, you know, typing out emails to different companies, telling them what they're doing is bad for whatever reason. Okay, that would be so. To me, that would to me that would be a parallel, but it wouldn't be the same because those individuals, in most cases, tend to just be people who really can't get out and do the more on the ground, you know 
more direct activism that exists in the world. It's more of a it's more of a lie to yourself in that regard, in what you're, in saying to yourself what you're doing is uh, is good or better for the world. Hope okay. that helps. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, it does help a bit. Uh, from what I've seen, that there it seems to be a uh, a pattern of uh, essentially a pursuit of virtue, but under different reasons, or maybe the feigning of the pursuit of virtue. And that is something that I believe is quite tempting for a person to simply to, uh, to get involved with the mob. And that is something that I do want that I was going to ask, like how does one be influenced to join part of the mob? And I think I just answered my own question. It is the pursuit of virtue where you may not have the purpose to uh, in your own personal life, but you find meaning in uh, in pursuits that while you may not be able to uh, influence alone under a banner of common of camaraderie, you might find uh, purpose, meaning, and most of all uh, recognition and significance. And I think that is uh, very tempting for the, well, I don't want to say the average person, but I would say the average gullible person to, uh, to take advantage of. It is the per. I think we're seeing that virtue is the perfect lure to, uh, to join part of the digital mob. Which kind of feeds into the idea of those who stand against that mob must be terrible people. Because if you wave the flag of virtue, then anybody that stands against it must be evil, right? I mean, if you look at it, okay, those who, uh, those who know me understand that I'm a huge fan of, of uh, studying Chinese history. Uh, if you look at uh, Chinese history, for example, if you look under the, uh, the Han Dynasty, for instance, one of the things that you find in particular is uh, the kingdom of Shu Han that was uh, founded by Liu Bei is often, um, is, is often romanticized to be the kingdom of virtue. And all throughout China, with the exception of the regions of uh, uh, locations such as uh, Shuchang, they are, they romanticize the aspect of Liu Bei uh, and his brethren, as well as his strategist, Zhuge Liang. They are romanticizes the paradigms of virtue while history has, uh, up until very recently, demonized his uh, his warlord rival, Cao Cao. And I think we're finding something, or at least very least, we are finding similar 
we are finding similar movements and uh, ideologies with these types of mobs. I mean, I guess maybe that's a no-duh sort of thing, given the fact that I think any particular group is going to find themselves as the paradigm of virtue. But I think with these types of folks, they are, at the very least, they are very boastful, very, very, um, they're, not a, they're not afraid to hide it. They're not afraid to hide their... Uh, their supposed virtue and they are very eager to shame others for standing against that supposed virtue i think one of the major one of the major uh, sayings that works really well with with faux advocacy and 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 professional advocacy tends to be those who are going out of their way to look for enemies sell, uh, will seldom be disappointed because one of two things will occur. They'll either find, they'll either find an adversary or they'll invent one to, to continue the relevancy of what they're doing. They're trying to find purpose in the world through constant battle. But the problem with it is that it's not anything fulfilling there's nothing there's nothing at the end of the day that any of the advocacy that they are doing gives them any kind of satisfaction because a person who's satisfied doesn't continue to do the same thing over and over again sounds like because a it's, situation essentially but it's much more devious because Delusion in the delusion is almost almost equidistant to the Don Quixote concept, but whereas Don Quixote was one person, you have a mass of people who have all basically created a a, a, a feedback loop of information and self delu self delusion that they use on themselves on each other to continue to spur themselves on to doing the things that they're doing. It's disappointing because it's not fulfilling in any meaningful way. Because if you look at the majority of the people who do this kind of stuff, especially the ones who are on the ground doing a lot of the protesting that happens, none of them seem happy about what they're doing. I mean, to be fair, protesting is never a happy experience. No, but I not. imagine most. Of, I imagine most of them go home at the end of the night, and they don't feel anything. Maybe numb. Maybe empty in general. Because if I was doing something that I thought was effective, and evidence perpetually kept coming up into my face that what I was doing was not achieving the results that I wanted. I can't imagine how deluded I'd have to be to keep telling myself that eventually I'll get results. It's, it's the goalpost scenario because if they don't get results, they just assume that it's something else that they need to do and something else that they need to do and something else that they need to do. Well, if there's anything that you can at least give them some credit for, you can at least admire the persistence because, you know, in any, in this day and age, you know, 
especially people in our generation and later, most would just simply give up when there is a shred of resistance or when they don't get their results in right away. But at the very least, you know, it's unfortunate that they're using it for things that are ultimately, you know, minor or pointless to some extent. But hey, at least at the very very bottom at the very least got to respect some of that persistence even if it's to the detriment of uh, of society as a whole and that's one of the major headaches for anybody who watches this stuff occur is there is enough echo around them, either of their own voice or their own philosophies to keep spurning them to spurning them to some kind of action. And I'm not a hundred percent on if they ever had an end goal to begin with, or if they just had convinced themselves that there was never truly an end goal and that what they were attempting to do was a constant struggle through the rest of their existence. And if all they were trying to do was to give themselves a purpose for the rest of their lives, I imagine there are much more fulfilling methodologies to get that done. But what do Is I there? know? Is there, though? It, look, okay, going back to Don Quixote for a moment, if you've read the story at all, and you would, Don Quixote was a person who who loved and was uh, moved and inspired by medieval knights of, uh, of distance past. The problem was, is that he lived in an era that that was not a thing anymore. And he hated that. And the reason he, the reason he hated that was because he was moved by the romanization of the knights having, uh, you know, going on noble quests and doing righteous things for the sake of the people, which is what led him to do all sorts of stupid things throughout the story. His purpose, his goal that he pursued, because even as a minor, even as a minor noble, it didn't brought him any satisfaction, despite the fact that he could have done things in his station already to improve the lives of those around him. But that alone wasn't enough. And the same could be said about many of these folks. Many of these, but we live in a, we live in a time, or if, you, if you're anywhere like you and myself, you live in a, you live in, uh, in a first world country where relatively little goes on in your life. You're likely not going to war. You're likely not out there destroying things. You're likely not, uh, in the front lines as a police officer, for instance, on a daily basis, you know, statistically showing based on the size of the population of the nation you're probably living in. So with that being said, there is little that you can, oh, wait, we forgot to add. Uh, you've been probably taught that much of what people do and you've probably seen it to some extent that much of what people do don't 
end up being very satisfying and end up being thankless jobs as a result. Even something as what would be considered as being a doctor, for instance, isn't all isn't a completely, you know, isn't something that's fully appreciated, given the fact that we have we have cases where, you know, people utterly bash medical professionals for, you know, being assholes that charge ridiculously high or misdiagnose or also in, in other words. There's a lot about modern society, in particular first world nations, that leave these folks less than uh, less than inspired. And if we go back to the idea of legacy that we've discussed before, this only compounds this fact when you want to create a legacy or build a life that's worth living, when you have all these factors pushed into your face, thanks to the, uh, the internet, it kind of, I can see and understand why some people might feel behooved and compelled to become the activists that they are. Because if the very least, if you if they look back on history, history has shown them that activism has at the very least shown them that they're you know has shown them merit, has shown them promise, has shown them you know at least a life worth you know living. Now. The, what they've been, you know, fighting for these days, you know, isn't quite the same. Especially if you've been around, you know, the corners of the internet where, you know, like myself have, and you see people riling up for, uh, you know, things that are in relation to pop culture, for instance. And then you would wonder, they're being activists for what now? <laughs> it kind of leaves it, it kind of has me you know scratching my head as to like if you're trying to i don't know cement your place into history or cement or or, or you know feel like you are living a just and honorable life i sincerely doubt that choosing a cause so minor so needless is the route where you want to go. But, you know, Don Quixote did the same, did something similar. So maybe that's something we need to start, you know, uh, showing people more in schools. Because I think at this point, many people are being duped into trying to make their lives seem to be worthwhile while not really doing much of anything. I think in the situation that we find ourselves in in modern times, the, the glamour, the glory of the usual avenues of society in bettering oneself 
nose to the grindstone, work all your life, save up money to do better or give something better to your children. Going into the service, you know, serving your country, coming back a hero of some of some stripe, or at the very least with some sort of money in your pockets and, and enough experience to be able to drive you forward into a, a career of some kind. You have what it, you have a disillusionment of those avenues in the face of heavy corporatism. And I'm not going to throw this at the feet of capitalism. This is corporatism. And there is a difference. And a lot of people conflate one for the other, and that's simply not the case. In regards to the actual base building blocks of capitalism, while there are, again, it's not a perfect system in, in contrast to other systems, it's one that has, has been executed effectively for, the long, for long enough time. Am I happy with it in its form? No, but I don't see any, I, I see only ways to improve upon it rather than wholesale replace it with something that might be much more anathema to a society where people are free to do as they please. In regards to the, the corporatist nature of things where turnover is something that is that that companies are okay with doing, at least the bigger companies, because they can lose one person and replace them with two more shortly after. It makes a person's feeling of worth completely diminished in the face of, you know, not having any real staying power in a company that you're with, even if you yourself are a, are a potentially a good worker or even a great worker. And with regards to the army you or, or the, the military service, it's much more diabolical in nature because what you have is an ever an ever growing uh, uh, pay for war system where government contractors, military contractors, are basically paid so much money to wage to help wage war on other other nations. In some cases, funding uh, equipping both sides of a potential conflict in 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 such just for the concept of war as as a profiteer. And when you have people who are staring at all of this occurring, it diminishes the value of, of, of the military as an avenue for, for bettering oneself. Why waste your why throw your life away for, for the profit of someone else so blatantly? And yes, someone profits from war regardless of who it may be in history. We, there's no way to get behind, get beyond that. But when, with regards to, the value and reward placed at the feet of the individuals who go out and sacrifice their blood, sweat, and tears for the service of their countries, it's much more flaccid in, the, in, in that regard because starting with Vietnam and Korea, the, it, things started to diminish as, as, as uh, the populations started to realize that what was going on was was fruitless and was, didn't accomplish anything anything towards the end of those particular conflicts then you get into stuff like the the, the iran contra crisis you have um the iraq uh, the iraqi persian gulf war you have uh, the things happening in afghanistan that perpetuity of the war on terror 
anybody who is watching all this occur, who's coming of an age where they are, you know, fl- they're, they're fresh for army recruitment or Navy recruitment or any of the branches, they're not going to want to throw their life away for, for something pointless like that. Why would they? Why would any human being do that? We understand the expendability of, of, of human life. None of us are going to be here forever. What you want to end up doing is having a good death in regards to that particular situation. And if you're throwing your life away for you know, the, for the unscrupulous goals of a politician or a group of politicians who just are trying to make bank off of your blood, it's so much more it's so much it's so much less compelling for you to want to go and do that no matter how desperate you may be okay um and while you've made some great points i'm going to at the very least put an asterisk on the the origins of the negative outlook we had for as in general for the wars and that's because I think you can go as far back as 1919, where we, at the end of World War One, is where we really started to question on the futility of war. In fact, it was where it first began, where we started getting memoirs and journal and no, memoirs and journal entries from soldiers from all around the world, talking about the just the horrors and the savages of war. Because before World War One. We we glamorized war, and we had already seen even before World War One some really some some savagery that couldn't be described at the time. And yet, humanity as a whole embraced and glorified war all the same. It was only after World War One where it got to the point where the savagery, the brutality, and the waste of human life was undeniable to the point where we have had to start questioning it. And I think it's come to the point where our generation, or at the very least and later on, is starting to take, has taken note on all that history. A hundred years of history has shown the savagery of it all and it's one of the reasons why the military for them in particular is not going to be viable like you said why would you want to join a military branch or i should say a branch of government that uh benefits off of the death of your own kin and the simple answer is i don't think you could the problem is is that when you have a military at all at any size you are going to be required to up to maintain it and the issue with having trained soldiers that don't do anything is that they will eventually do something and the last thing you need is to have your own military you know trouble for your own government and the people, no, and the people they're supposed to protect. We've seen this before during uh, the Sengoku Jidai in Japan, where they, where their own militaries upon the warlords had to be used, even in piecemeal, because soldiers that are well trained 
and have nothing else to do are inevitably going to find their own way of using that training. Because when you're trained killing machines and you have nothing to kill, you're going to go look for something to kill. Well, I would look to I would look to modern times as a bellwether of what we should be doing as a society with regards to the standing forces that we have. And maybe it's not necessarily as detrimental to some branches that don't see much more much frontline combat, traditional frontline combat, such as the Navy. Where you're not sitting there with a gun on a battlefield, but with regards to uh, the army and the Marines, it's so much more uh, primal with regards to that instinct, that killing instinct that's been cultivated. And it's and it's to me, especially as we've we're becoming much more acclimated to the concept of automated war, drone strike. Uh, robotic combatants, the stuff that 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 is, it feels like it's further on the horizon than it is, but it's much more, much more in the present than we than we like to admit to ourselves. What we need to do is have better debriefing for a lot of these these individuals, especially as they come off of active duty, where they're not constantly doing drills and and going to different areas. And the, one of the major things that most people don't understand with a lot of these military branches is they're not just learning to be combatants. If you, that's all you were doing the entire time you were in the service and you weren't on active duty or on a war tour, I can imagine there would be a lot much more difficult things, but a lot of those people have civilian type jobs, be they, if they, even, even though they may not be as glamorous, and in a lot of cases, those those soldiers can be deployed in rescue operations and much more mundane tasks that are a lot larger scale where an army would be necessary to make those kind of things happen. So I don't think it's something that we couldn't that, that you couldn't put somebody to work in that regard in a much more civilian aspect. But I do agree with you that a, that an that a standing army that all that all it does is stand around is going to get antsy pretty quickly. And I think that if you okay, and with that being said, I think that's the uh, I believe we are seeing a correlation with that with the digital mob, at the very least, because they seem to they, they seem to appear that way, where when they don't have anything to fight for. They, you know, they look for something to fight for, which is something that we've uh, we've established, and I think it's a it's an interesting correlation to be made. Agreed, I agree. Boredom definitely compels people to do more reckless things to get a reaction out of the reality that they're that they're in. And in in those regards, especially especially even in civilian situations where you don't have somebody who might be doing drills all the time or be on a military base where they have have things they actually have to do, 
the the everyday grind, especially it's become much more apparent to us, especially to yourself and myself. Boredom has created a vortex of angst and frustration that no one has a real outlet for. And whether that's by design or by just, you know, a byproduct of, of the, of the, the COVID lockdowns that had been occurring is anybody's guess. And I'm not going to put the tinfoil hat on, on that one. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the, uh, the, the, is the simplest answer, which is people were left to do nothing for long enough and people got bored. I mean, you're not going to put the hat on, but I think I will. Uh, because I think at this point, you and I can probably, I don't know if you agree, but I think we can, that uh, lockdowns are, no, a second round of lockdowns is almost imminent. And I think that's only going to amplify the intensity and the frequency of these mobs. Wouldn't you say? I can't agree with you in that in the first part of your statement. Because... Okay. And I've talked with other people about this who don't believe that a full-blown lockdown, federally speaking, is is possible. While I do see that there are changes happening in my immediate area with regards to restrictions and um, uh, different rules in place, capacity for things have changed, um, signs have gone back up. The signs that I've been reading in most cases basically state that if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask regardless. And they've kept it as such, but they but they have stated that anybody who is not vaccinated has to wear a mask. So, I mean, going on the honor system, as foolhardy as that may be with regards to those things, it's difficult for me to believe that they're going to go full hog and lock everything back down because at this point, They've already done it once, and the hostility that brewed just from that, you could you could heat a pot of coffee with it. And there's already hostility brewing with the potential for more more modifications. And at stuff that I've seen locally, fist fights breaking out in, in uh, council meetings at schools, people being followed out of a, out of a meeting in another district. After they had expressed a, expressed a uh, concern that there were certain age age limits on the COVID vaccine, so there should be masking for specific age groups of kids. These are th- these are things that I can actively see, and the for me, because of my nature, I'm compelled to see both sides of the story with regards to this. I don't blame the people who want to protect the youngest who can't get vaccinated yet. I also can see it from the perspective of the people who are getting more hostile. They shouldn't be doing what they're doing, but I understand where they're coming from with regards to their frustration. You can't keep taking two steps back after you take one step forward because you're not getting anywhere. And in more cases, you're regressing further back because the, the answers to your, the, the answers to the solutions you're presenting are either in redundancy or are antithetical to us working as a group of people to accomplish something, even in the face of situations where COVID vaccines aren't nearly as numerous as they're supposed to be. Well, the thing with the COVID with the vaccinations isn't about the frequency or the, uh, 
or, or the quantity of them, it's the efficiency is the thing that people are most concerned with. And, you know, you know, back putting on my tinfoil hat on again, uh, you know, the idea that these are now no longer of, you know, effective. And given the fact that they only took about a year of develop of development, research and development to make, it's kind of hard for people to, to fathom a lock, another lockdown or more restrictions when this attempt has already failed essentially as a result. Now, whether you have taken the vaccine or not and whatever opinions you may have on it, fine. I'm not going to dissuade anyone or anything on that. That's on you. I'm looking in discussion on whether or not that the result of potential more, of more potential restrictions is going to embolden internet moms in the future. Because this is not a COVID discussion. It's an internet mob discussion. So at least we can at least try to find a way to connect to that rather than uh, – then you know explore that particular subject maybe you want to do that in the future fine but i think at this particular case i'm more concerned with what does with the with impending uh restrictions that are going that are likely going to be applied i think we're looking at for uh you know more and more frequent and more intense mobs, you know, internet mobs in the future. And that's, <laughs> well, let's face it, it's going to be annoying if flat out frustrating. I agree. With that being said, I think we've uh, wrapped this up pretty nicely. I agree. Um, I think this was a rather interesting topic to discuss. So I greatly appreciate you bringing that to the table. Um, so thank you, everybody, who has come to our little podcast. And we appreciate your company. We hope to see you next time. For we will have a brand new topic and discussion waiting for you all. Keep your glasses high. Our next drink will be on us. Thank you for listening in to the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We are humbled that you have given us your time to listen to us discuss things. If you would like to hear more from us, you'd like to see more from us, uh, I have personally a account on Twitter under the name of Ragnarok Knight. My co-host here also has an account on Twitter as well. He goes under the name of Punk Toast. We also have a Facebook page under the name of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. If you would like to uh, check that out for updates on when we have our sessions. We also have our voicemail link in the show notes. We will be having voicemails read during the course of our records going forward, as long as there are voicemails to be, uh, to be listened to um, any further inquiries on that, uh, do feel free to PM either of us on Twitter, or you can go through the actual Facebook page to ask us any queries as well. 
Thank you so much to all of you. Safe travels to you all. Cast off, friends.